All right. Welcome back to our afternoon session. I'm going to start with a fun video that I made in about 45 minutes with some pre-service administrators at the University of Central Oklahoma. We took a model that Marco Torres, who's an amazing California-based educator, had used with a video he created it back in 2001 at Lesley University called Teacher Movie, and this is called Administrator Movie. When I become an administrator, my secretaries will handle all my discipline problems. <laughs> I want to hold faculty meeting every Tuesday and it has to last for two hours. <laughs> I want to take a two-hour lunch. I will have no bad home because of discipline. I just want to take every other Friday off. <laughs> I will cultivate an atmosphere of mistrust have a closed door policy. <laughs> <laughs> All deal with students, one suspension at a time. I want to stop teaching. My vision is fine. I have great limits. <laughs> I want to sit at my desk and read the paper with the door shut all day long. <laughs> my goal is to forget what it's like in the classroom. Actually, this summer, uh, in August, made one called Librarian Movie, so I don't know if we'll have time to show that one or not, but um, sometimes we make, so can make some real serious points well through humor, and uh, a lot of the things we need to be reminded of don't have to do with technology. They have to do with good learning and good teaching and passion for learning and for leadership. So this afternoon, we're going to take the first uh, 30 minutes here to talk a little bit about um, levels of technology integration and a little actually more from the, the slides that I had started out with this morning, thinking about where we're going with all this, which is action steps. Tomorrow, when you come back, we'll be here in the morning. We're going to have some time to work together. We're going to talk about transform professional development. Uh, models, but we're going to ask you to think about some action steps. We've got classroom teachers here, we have administrators here, we've got a variety of folks, but all of us can take something from today back to our building, back to our context, and apply it. Um, there were a lot of takeaways that we could have had from that Did You Know video. Uh, this one probably should stand out, that cell phones are going to be the number one way the world accesses content by 2020. Um, what's the youngest student in your school that has a cell phone? Anybody? Third grade? Anybody younger than third grade? First grade? I mean, I had lunch with my, my fifth grade daughter uh, this week and was sitting around talking to her friends. We were talking about cell phones because my daughter, you know, inherited an iPhone, but we haven't made it a phone yet. You know, and yeah, this, her, her uh, good friend had, had had one since first grade, you know. Um, the smartphone today that costs $500 is, gonna, is, is soon going to have the, 
um, those features are going to be on, on the regular track phone. And even now, the cell phone and the giveaway phone, when you just sign up to have a contract or you get a track phone, the processor that's in that is more powerful than what NASA had in 81 when we launched the shuttle, certainly far more powerful than what we had when we went into space and landed on the moon in the 70s, in, in the late 60s. Who knows about Khan Academy? Everyone who knows anyone working with math should know about Khan Academy because Salman Khan has created over 1,800 free videos about all kinds of math. My son is taking an Algebra 1 class, needed to know least common multiple. I don't remember how to do that. But I can go to this website, type in least common multiple, and there's a screencast which shows you how to do it. And you know what my son said? Dad, that's not how my teacher did it. I like that way better. Great. You know, there's almost always more than one way to solve a problem. And Khan Academy is not the replacement for the school. It is not the replacement for the teacher. It, Bill Gates, you know, loves Khan Academy, and, and I think I've heard, read, that he likes to showcase this. And I read a really good post recently that uh, Chris Lehman, who's a principal in Philadelphia uh, at the Science Leadership Academy, wrote, and, and why he struggles with this, because this doesn't mean just because I can download 1,800 screencasts, I don't need a teacher. It doesn't mean that I don't need a class and a place where I am able to be challenged and to have my uh, have the curriculum presented. But who should not utilize a free resource like that if they can? I spent time at Google this last summer. I had a chance to do a workshop in Palo Alto, and probably nowhere represents innovation more than than Google in terms of thinking about a very creative space. You know, they have 20% time. You get 20% of your time to work on a project of your choice. That intellectual property remains the property of Google, but um, I was impressed at the Google Teacher Academy a couple years ago in Boulder that you, by almost by law, by rule, could not be more than 150 feet away from food at any one time. You know, and their environment was very creative. We had the foosball tables. They had the climbing walls. You know, uh, people, a lot of them bike to work. Uh, lots of creative stuff. I asked earlier, how many of you have Googled yourself? Pew Internet said in May that 57% of adults now Google themselves. And this idea of digital footprints is a really important metaphor to be using not just with students, but with teachers too, because as we do things online, we leave footprints. And we probably can have different stories shared about this. I was in Alva, Oklahoma, which is uh, northwest Oklahoma near the Kansas border in September. Talked to all, I'm forgetting the statistic, I did five sessions and there were, I don't know, like 500 kids in the district. Anyway, all the high school in one session talking about digital uh, citizenship and internet safety. And the counselor told me a story about one of their high school students who had applied to a sorority at Oklahoma State University. But the folks in that sorority had Googled her and went to her Facebook and what if, you know, some of the things they found led them to decide, you're not for us. Now, is technology to blame in that situation? Probably not. It was the decisions that that individual made, um, the pictures that were shared, the pictures that were posted. So we need to think about this. How can we manage our digital footprints, and how can our students do that? And we're going to contend that sandboxes are an essential way to do this. You and I never learned how to swim by someone at the chalkboard drawing out the crawl stroke and the breast stroke and describing with, you know, great precision using, um, you know, a, a pen or, or a 
marker or whatever, how you do that. You had to get in the water and you had to actually practice. A couple summers ago, my youngest daughter went from fearful of the water, didn't want to get in it, to jumping off the low board by herself um, without a life jacket on by the end of the summer. How could she go through this remarkable transformation? Well, we took lessons, and we got in the water together, and we had supervision. And by the way, she still tries to run sometimes, but we remind her not to do that. It's dangerous to be in the water. There's danger out on the Internet as well. But the only way to learn how to be safe is to be in that environment. So my question to you, one among many today, is where is your platform for publishing and sharing? Where are you sharing things? Now, we've had you create a Twitter account today, and you might just you know, choose to uh, delete this and never use this site again. Twitter is not you know, the ultimate in places to share, but there are a lot of smart people, creative people. We are all smart in different ways. And when smart people and just people in general get together and share, a lot of energy can happen. Uh, Diane was mentioning energy in the room, right? You felt that today. Um, that same kind of energy happens on Twitter as well. So a couple quick examples. This is Maria Nee's classroom blog. She's a kindergarten teacher in Deerfield, New Hampshire. And her Twitter is Maria K. Uh, they share what they're doing uh, in their class with, with their uh, parents. This is a what I would consider best practice site. The Shanghai American School has their own YouTube site. They've created it with a commercial product called Media Scripts. And if you want to talk about jump-starting digital storytelling, you know, this could be something that a regional group does as well as a school to provide a forum for the posting of video content. YouTube has a lot of quality stuff, but it's got a lot of junk, too. I didn't mention the State of the Union address. Was anybody online uh, during the State of the Union address this year? Um, I'll just Google White House State of the Union address. Okay, here's the site. Now, irrespective of what you think of our president, he and his team are pretty smart when it comes to social media. And the ways in which they ask people to interact about the State of the Union address, used a Twitter hashtag, had all kinds of ways that you could interact on their website, it's like, oh my gosh, they really have, you know, they're really leveraging this in, in some ways we haven't seen before in politics. Computer literacy means different things today than it meant yesterday. It's not just Microsoft Office and productivity. It is knowledge about social media. It's talking about digital footprints. It's talking about screencasts and a host of other things. This photo is a little dark, but it's a staged photo at the University of Missouri. And all those kids have laptops. And the question Will Richardson posed when he wrote this on his blog a couple years ago was, what changes? You know, do things change for you today if kids have access? And I know as we talked this morning, not everyone does. Let's not assume everybody's got a laptop and everyone's got a, uh, any kind of computer at home. But things should change in this environment, and that's what we're going to, one of the things we'll focus on this afternoon um, is, is what, what do we do differently because of this access. Mobile devices matter. Um, this free tool, Story Road, just blows me away. It is free. You can run it on the iPhone, iPod Touch, iPad, take still pictures up to three minutes and record a video that is able to be shared online somewhere. Uh, does that mean I'm going to create a high-quality video every time? 
time? No. But in a 45-minute period of time with my fifth grade Sunday school kids, we had been talking about planning and making a video. We borrowed iPhones from parents. We had six of them for a class of about uh, actually 15 kids. And in 45 minutes, we had created videos and shared them. The ability to use mobile applications like this is just going to get better in the, as, as time goes on. So one of the lenses to think about is accommodating or transformative. How many of you use computers at your school for word processing? Okay. For how many of us is that the ultimate use? Okay. If that's where we stop, that's, there's a problem there. And so... Um, I think I'm going to skip this video. There's a Kaplan University spot, which I, I'll, I'll skip. But we've got different educational standards. This is, these are the International Society for Technology and Education standards. Uh, creativity is one of these. Um, this is a photograph, actually, that's Chris Betcher from Australia. We're in Shuzhou, a small little suburb of 6 million outside Shanghai, which has, I think, 21 million in September. You know, what, what does this mean? What does it mean that China is here and is coming onto the world stage and outsourcing is happening? Um, what, what does this mean for our schools? It needs to mean that we do some different things. This was the Apple Store in Shanghai uh, about a week, three days after they announced the iPad. Um, it's right across from the Pearl Tower. And what do these things mean? We've got to do some different things. So um, this is one of my favorite ways to frame the, co the uh, case for blended learning. Um, and Karen's nodding there. Karen, do you want to talk a little bit about revised blooms? Why does the new blooms have anything to do with what we're talking about today? Yep, your audio is muted. Yeah. Well, you know, when I went to teacher college, we talked about blooms quite a bit. But, you know, now that we've revised blooms, the top of Blooms is creation, and in schools we aren't doing a lot of creation, um, unfortunately. And, and the project like we just talked about with uh, the story room, you know, it's not it's about that getting to that point and, and being able to create. Um, the knowledge level, being, you know, that rope, that memorization, that stuff, you know, that's where we start. But until students, you know, we were talking earlier about um, is it the act of actually doing that is learning or is learning something else. So, you know, when you look at this revised Blooms, it is much less passive than what originally Blooms was all about. It's, it's more active. It's about students being active learners and being part of learning. And when Anderson and Crothwell revised this, they made all the words verbs, okay? That's one of the big differences, is you remember, you understand, apply, analyze, evaluate, and create. I would contend it is much more challenging to create a 30-second public service announcement or, a, or a, even a two- to three-minute video about a big topic than to write a long five-paragraph essay or a five-page paper. Why? Because of the higher order thinking that's required. I really have to make decisions about what I'm going to include, exclude, and put in there. And then also, how do I use media to do that? What images do I use? What Do I use music? Does that distract from my purpose, or, or does it enhance what I'm going to do? Let's all say this together. Ready? Go. Without creation, there is no creativity. If you are not asking your students to make stuff then creativity is not 
happening as a result of your direction. There may be creativity in your class, just because that's what kids are doing, but you need to ask kids to make stuff. If all the things your kids make look the same, guess what? We have not had much creativity, and I'm guilty of that, probably as you are sometimes, in thinking, okay, everybody's salt map is going to look just like this. Alan Kay says the predominant technology in the classroom determines the predominant learning task. You got pencils today? What do you use? You got pencils. As the predominant learning technology changes, our tasks can change as well. Technology is magic at some level. In fact, is it Arthur C. Clarke, I think, maybe who said, uh, you know, all technology is indistinguishable from magic or something like that. I'm a big Harry Potter fan, so I thought that was a, that was a good picture. Um, but what about visual images? I haven't even mentioned that, but we're going to talk about this afternoon using media, and I'm going to challenge you to work with a partner to create either a, a story in five photos or some video interviews that you can do with your flip cameras that we have. Uh, nobody tells your eye where to start with an image, okay? Where do I need to begin processing this, okay? Um, turn to your neighbor. I'm going to give you 30 seconds and, and talk about this. Why do you think this particular photo is a big deal? Go. So it's supported from someplace. But uh Okay, time's up. What what guesses do you have? Anybody want to guess? Why is this a big deal? Women. Elaborate. Um, young women being allowed access to something. Okay, young women being allowed access to touch technology. Why else might this be a big deal? Looks like they're in a Muslim country because of their clothing. If I tell you this is Afghanistan, does that add some context? Do you know a little bit about the Taliban and the Taliban's view of women and their access to even be able to go to school, much less have an Exo laptop, an OLPC, part of the One Laptop Per Child project? where their learning is no longer tethered, where they no longer just get to learn at the school, in the, in the classroom, at the time the teacher talks, but get to take that device back home. When they deployed these in Cambodia, this was the primary light source for some of the homes because they didn't have electricity in the home. You know, OLPC is a, is a visionary project, and... In many cases, I think this can kind of help us get some perspective on things, right? Because there's a lot of stuff that we are blessed with that we just take for granted. Who remembers this? What is this? Do you know that piece of technology? It's an opaque projector. That's right. Did anyone fear setting fire to instructional materials because the light on that thing was so hot, you know, that you really you were scared? Do you remember the Super 8 movie cameras that took the silent movies? Do you remember? Did you have a, a 
did you or somebody in your family have that light that went on top that was so hot? I mean, I don't care if you had a huge aloe vera plant, man. You got burned by that thing. Forget it. You were getting scarred. Well, in some of our classrooms today, the interactive whiteboard has replaced the overhead projector. And Marco Torres says it this way. We've been asking kids since the day of the cave, sort of, to read pages 1 through 20 and answer questions 1 through 10 at the end of the chapter. And we did that on the cave wall, and then we did that on the slate, and then we did it on the chalkboard, and then we did it on the overhead, and now we do it on the, over, the interactive whiteboard, and maybe we do it on the iPod. But if we don't change the task... We're probably wasting our money investing in these technologies because we shouldn't be asking kids to do the same thing. Larry Cuban is a retired professor at Stanford and wrote a great book called Oversold and Underused, which I highly commend to you. And I will not read the entire quotation, but I will summarize it to say, when someone tells you technology equals increased learning, get out your crap detector. Because there, are, there is not research that shows technology alone increases learning. Does the film strip projector increase learning? Does the, you know, um, what, do, what do you call a pencil uh, that has lead that feeds some Does Yeah, do mechanical pencils? Thank you. Mechanical pencils? No, you cannot say technology equals increased learning. And this is a fallacy, and it is unfortunately something that you'll hear some folks trumpet today talking about one-to-one learning. Who's read this book by Clayton Christensen, Disrupting Class? Heard Michael Horn a year and a half ago talk in Austin. He was the co- one of the co-authors with Christensen. Christensen's known for his research on innovation. What do they say about technology? Schools have, by and large, crammed technology into classrooms to sustain and marginally improve what they already teach and run in their schools. Who remembers the, the department that had the first computers that came to school? In fact, what was the what was the first computer you remember in school? It was in my room. It was in your room. What was it? Special education. Was it a TRS uh, Radio Shack or it was a, it was a Radio Tree? Shack that you had to put the the discs the candy. Yeah, cassettes. The cassettes. Who remembers the Commodore 64? Do you remember that? I'll date myself. I was in seventh grade. Mrs. Allen was my teacher. And we went to the computer lab and took our little cassette tapes. And what did you do in probably 1982 when you had Commodore computers and the math department had them? What did you do? We played Hangman. You played Hangman? <laughs> Got on Facebook and we updated our profile. No, we weren't doing that yet. We did basic. We did programming. We did basic. That's right. And the excitement was being able to have agency over the device, right? I wrote a program and I created it. That's where Papert and Logo came out to say kids need to have agency over the device. We need many more children today understanding, this is Gary Steger's recent tweet, how to make the computer program rather than just playing the program and playing the game. So stagnant accommodation level technology integration equals wasted money. And what do I mean by that? Um, I think, I'm going to skip over my fear, um, where are we going to go with our technology? Anybody know the root of this research by Everett Rogers? What was Rogers studying in the 40s when he came up with the technology adoption life cycle? Could you go to something right now and look that up? Sure, why don't you do that? Why don't you go to Wikipedia right now and put in Technology Adoption Lifecycle, and you can pull up this article. 1940s, he was studying the diffusion of agricultural innovation. And how does that diffuse across a population? Well, we have a few innovators and early adopters. 
We've got folks at the other extreme who are the laggards. And in the middle, the majority, the early and late majority. Some of you in this room with respect to technology are innovator early adopters. But I can guarantee you that when you go back to your school, it is not a school filled with early adopter innovators. When you're out here on Twitter, you have a chance to connect to many more early adopter innovator people than you do when you go back to your building. So we're going to give some specific advice for you. And one of the things we will encourage you to do is to create a vocabulary of shared expectations for your teachers. When you walk into that classroom, are you expecting to see everybody quiet, sitting in neat rows all the time, eight hours a day, listening to the teacher lecture? I hope not. There are, there's a lot of standards, right? How many standards do you all have in Minnesota? K-12? What did I say? Minnesota. <laughs> Thank you. It's time for me to stop talking and start letting me do stuff. I'm in Montana today. You all know how many you have, like, K-12 standards that the state mandates? Yeah, total. Well, in terms of standards themselves, like technology has four standards. And then benchmarks and ELE and all this But drill down. Like, how many individual ones do you all have? Do you know? Well, how many content standards and across standards, all? Standards, we only have four for technology and then you get to the benchmarks. Okay. But not just technology, but across the content areas. Communication, media literacy. We've got over... We have all those other areas, right, but they all have four to six. We've got 3,000 in Oklahoma, over 3,000, across all grade levels and content areas. I think it's easy to be overwhelmed with, with standards, Right. I think the standards movement is a good thing with good ideas, right? And it was, let's try and help everybody achieve at a high level. But standards ultimately can be overwhelming, and so this is where our suggestion for these come from, all right? Create, collaborate, and share. If you will be looking for examples in your classroom of creation, are kids making stuff? That's a good thing. If you're looking for collaboration, are kids working together with other kids in their class? And maybe with kids in another class, somewhere else. That's something to look for. And then the third thing is sharing. And talking with media is, a, is an important skill that we need to practice. And, in fact, I, I should, uh, should have changed this slide. I actually um, recently created – does anybody know how much it costs to register a domain? About 10 bucks, right. So for $12, I registered talkwithmedia.com, and I used a site called Posterous, uh, which lets you uh, map for free a blog to that site. So we can talk with different kinds of media. This is my session I'm doing at the national or international uh, ISTE conference, the technology conference this summer. Um, we can talk with text. We can talk with images. We can talk with audio, and we can talk with video. And so this afternoon, we're going to be challenging you to do some talking with media. And um, here in a little bit, I'm going to uh, ask Karen. She's going to talk about some other things first, but we're going to um, kind of set up this uh, Tell a Story in Five Photos project um, and talk about that a little bit. So... Um, talking with media, collaborating with others, and sharing your work. These are things we need to be looking for in our classes, things that we need to be doing with our students. And I really thought I had this slide in here, and I may not have put it in. Um, so let me, I'm, while I create that, let me uh, 
pass the baton over to Karen. And um, Karen, I think we, you were going to talk a little bit about um, kind of the, some of the levels of technology and some of the assessment pieces that can fit in. So you want to talk a little bit about that? And then I'm, I want to just mention our, the four-part levels that we were discussing. <laughs> Does that make sense? Well, I'm talking too much. Yeah. Okay. Well, about, you know, it all makes sense eventually. Um, <laughs> one of the things that, you know, and as I mentioned, I work with a lot of schools that are looking at one-to-ones, and, and, you know, one of the things that happens, well, actually, let me put three three things in front of you. One is money. Money is always an issue for schools. So if, if we could get rid of money as an issue, if we could say everybody has all the money they want to spend, then what would we do? But, you know, we don't have that situation, so money is always an issue. But when I talk with the top of schools, a couple of things always come come to the forefront. Uh, when they're talking about going one-to-one or they're talking about adopting the use of more technology or integrating more technology in their classrooms. Um, and one of those things, it tends to be that, and I, you know, I know we have a lot of administrators in this group, so I'm sure that none of you are these people. But um, administrators tend to have projects happen from the top down. And I, you know, we encourage schools that are looking at these things to go from the top down, but also go from what we might call the bottom up, so that everything meets in the middle. And that communication is such an issue in schools. And when you're communicating and you're getting ready to start with something new, Assessing where people are is so important so that that program is data-driven. And, you know, we just talked a little bit about high-stakes testing, and we talked about, you know, the kinds of things that we want our students to know and, and the different kinds of standards. Um, but assessing where you are when you start with something can be so valuable a year down the road or two years down the road to know where we are. And many schools now are looking at teachers developing professional development plans putting together um, you know, their own learning, if you will, taking control of where they are and where they want to be. So um, that's a top issue for a lot of schools is how to deal with that. And there are some good resources uh, out there. Um, I can't see what Wes has up there, but I'm sure it's something great. Um, uh, many people are familiar with Chris Marsh and his low tie, and some people call it Lodi, but I'm going to tell you that I spoke with him and he told me low tie. Low yeah, Karen tie, works on me to pronounce tie. it right. <laughs> low tie, right from the horse's mouth, from Chris Marsh's mouth. Um, and many schools are adopting things like that or similar to that, where, where we're looking at the levels of technology integration with teachers and how they're using it, and and really crafting strategic plans. PD is a top issue. Professional development in schools is a top issue. I was involved, or I'm loosely involved with a project here where they decided to pass out laptops to all of the ninth graders without giving the teachers laptops. And not to mention the fact they were 3G-enabled netbooks and they were activated on the networks, on the, on the AT&T network, so that the students immediately were able to surf without any kind of filtering at all. It was open completely. And the teachers, um, teachers were then asked to come in and teach, and, and one of these women who was so willing had trouble with her eyesight and had difficulty even looking at the netbook. Um, but she was willing, and she was she wanted to be there, and she wanted to do this. Uh, but there was just no forethought, and unfortunately, that project was rolled out in August. They've already collected the netbooks from more than 300 freshmen just before Christmas, 
and they're not sure if they're handing them back out. So, you know, strategy, planning, discussion, conversation, and assessing where people are before you try to move them forward is really where schools need to be, you know, having these conversations and, and, and looking at ways that make their programs data-driven. I mean, that's the bottom line. You know, when you go back the next time and you say, how do we know where we, and that's, you know, how do we know where we came from or where we are if we don't know where we came from? And where we're going. Joni Templeton just put in the uh, Twitter back channel, iPad or netbook, what's best for kids or, or the classroom? What do you want to do? What kind of learning do and, you want to do? And that's the last part of the discussion. Device is the last thing you talk about. You talk about your mission and your goals and how you're going to use the device before you ever talk. Because I'll tell you, nine times out of ten, your English teachers and your math teachers will not agree on the device. Um, so you have to, as a community, decide what is going to move our learning forward and what is the best of it. And maybe teachers don't all have the same devices, and maybe you know. But you have to talk about platform and devices well into the discussion, not at the beginning. And and I'll tell you, working loose, you know, with some of the vendors that will sell laptops, the first thing they want to do is come out and hand you a bunch of things to play with. And that's wonderful to play with those and to, to look at different devices, but it should be a part of the conversation after you talk about a lot of other things first. So in your handout online, um, underneath leadership resources, this is the, the page we link to. It's got all the videos and everything. When you scroll down below our agenda under leadership resources, we have a link to the powerful ingredients for blended learning stages. And then there's three links to some other resources. Karen just mentioned the low-tie, I'm saying it right, Karen, um, framework that Chris Morse developed, which is really thinking about instruction and higher-order thinking not just thinking about technology. Um, the ACOT, Apple Classrooms of Tomorrow Research, was the, and still is, the longest longitudinal study of technology immersion uh, that we've had to date, and it showed that in a supported environment that focuses on project-based learning, which we don't always do, teachers will go through a series of stages, entry, adoption, adaptation, appropriation, and invention. I just learned recently that Arizona, at their K-12 center, has a technology integration matrix, and this is linked also. And so this is a matrix, again, building on ACOT, looking at entry, adoption, infusion, and transformation. This is the framework that Karen and I, and we are working on a book, which we hope to finish this year. Um, we just said four levels, okay? Personal uses first. You need to use the tool. I need to use the tool. That's part of what Twitter is. Let's use this tool and learn how um, we can leverage it for our own learning. How many folks here love to cook? Anybody? Okay. Usually when we start to cook, what do we do? We find a recipe. We get a cookbook. We get a mentor or somebody to help us, but we copy. So um, the, the, the personal use, did I do that wrong, Karen? Personal use is first, but is, is second copied use? I don't link to the page instead. Well... Well, yeah, let's look at the page. And then using someone else. Oh, awareness. Yeah. This is my, my fault for not getting my slide ready. Awareness. Okay. we got to know what's available. Who's put up a fence before in your backyard? Did you use a nail gun? No. Those of you that did, was that a transformative thing? 
It could have been, right? It can be huge. But you got to know it's available first, okay? And then you either borrow it or rent it or maybe buy it, but you probably don't buy it. So awareness is first, then personal use, then we get to the recipe, okay? Professional use. If I'm going to take this into my classroom, I'm not going to start inventing stuff right off the bat. I'm going to copy something you've done, something that somebody else has tried and they said this works. Then... I might move to that last level, which is invention. Okay, so this is where I screwed up. This needs to be awareness, and this needs to be personal use. Okay, so there's different ways of thinking about it, and what we want to encourage today um, is thinking about what are we doing in the classroom, what are we looking for in the classroom that that needs to change and not be the same as what it has been before. So we are so fortunate that Rob Reynolds is here, and he has agreed to talk with us about some of the ways they are using Google Forms in their district, in their schools, to do walkthroughs and to look for different things than what we might have typically looked for with sort of our standard non-digital Madeline Hunter lesson plans or whatever it was that we were, were looking for. So Rob has given us a link, and that is um, provided for you if you want to link to it. It's on our page, and when you go to our schedule for today, um, we're in the afternoon, and we've got a link to Rob on Twitter, Rocket Rob, and then here's the link to his Prezi, which is using Google Forms for dynamic data. As sort of an aside... Um, is anybody at tab overwhelm here with too many tabs? Okay. One of the nice things about Google Chrome, which is the browser I'm using, is you can easily tear tabs off. So I'm going to just tear that tab off. So we're here, and we're going to go to full screen. And he has created this in Prezi. And I'm going to step aside. And actually, would you mind putting on the court? Yes. All right. All right. So let's give Bob a warm welcome. Join us. All right, I'll give this a try. Thanks for giving me a few minutes of your time, and thanks to the Eureka team back there. And you're going to learn more about Team Eureka shortly uh, for coming all the way down from Eureka. And I, I, I have a little bit more of a broad overview than what you addressed, but I have some options to learn a little bit more about forms. And uh, I guess I'll start out. I'm going to try, see how we can do this, because I, I don't have a little clicker deal. Um, giving you a little bit of history about Google Apps for Education, different than public Google in the sense that you can create a private domain that allows you a lot more control within your school district than you would just using basic Google uh, uh, tools. So uh, here's just a little overview of a school that uses that, those tools, and kind of what the administrators and some of the teachers have to say. All my docs are right there, no matter what machine or what station I'm on. We're able to incorporate and integrate uh, the Google Apps and the Google Docs into pretty much everything we do in the school. Google Docs has really given my students control over their education to a higher degree than they've ever had before. With Google Docs, I can write it on the Google document at home, open it up on my email here, Instead of like bothering about emailing like documents back and forth, I'm just like, okay, I can just save it and um, I'm good to go from Hong Kong, from India, wherever I am. One student isn't just sitting in front of the computer, and the rest are looking over their shoulder. Now, finally, all the students are able to participate in one particular assignment. One student began a poem, and then there were two other students that actually ended up finishing the poem. 
I looked at my Google Docs and I saw that one of the poems was being written by two kids at the very same time at 11 o'clock at night. To me, that means that learning is happening at all times of the day. Recently, we had students in Virginia and Alaska talking about hunting together. The Alaska students looked at some New York City stories and they didn't quite get it because they had no idea what a subway was. I thought it was really easy how you could talk between people because I know if we have an essay, it would be kind of fun to get another opinion on it before you turn it in. It would be pretty similar to just sitting next to someone and working on it together, but you could be in your own house. Exactly. major writing piece in class and we'll go through the writing process, brainstorm, draft, revise, edit, publish, and all that is done in one Google document. As a teacher, that gives me the opportunity to see which students are doing the lion's share of the work. We want to be able to see the growth in the student writing and do they really take the comments that are on the page from the teacher and then apply those back into the work. I always tell my students that my idea is perfect until somebody else reads it. When I interact with somebody else with my idea, the idea becomes better. And I think Google Docs helps us do that. The benefit of using uh, Google Docs, Google Presentations, um, Spreadsheet, is it allows the students really to publish and to become publishers on a worldwide level. It's no longer, uh, I'm doing this to get the points needed for the grade, and the teacher's the only one that's going to see it. I'm now publishing for my peers, I'm publishing for parents. It raises the level of their work because they begin to understand how many people are reading what they've done and they want it to be the best they can do. We were gathering together some college recommendations. How long is it going to take to pass the piece of paper around the room? One of the teachers sitting at the table said, this is an obvious Google Docs, we can't do this any other way. We had a technology open house last week. Let's say there's 10 people who are helping to plan different phases of that open house. We'll open up a Google document, and we will enter in what we've done and what steps we've taken, questions we have for each other. And it doesn't require endless amounts of meetings. In fact, it requires zero meetings. Kids who were totally divested from learning, not really interested in, in my class at all, come in every day, and they're really excited to get on the laptops. It's just like... It makes the, the lesson a lot more interactive, and uh, it's definitely improved learning. If you learn to use Google Docs, they'll, they'll make your classroom more efficient, you save time, and you can do the art of teaching better than the fussing factors of, of teaching. I can't even fathom what, what we were doing at this time last year without the, the communication, without the collaboration, and without the ease of saving that Google Docs have offered us so far. So far, I say, because I have no idea what's coming next. So that's a prime example of a school that's kind of where we all are talking about wanting to be, I guess. And uh, when I saw that years ago, it made me say that's a tool that we need to look at in our school district. So my goal is to kind of give you just an overview of how we got started with Google Docs and where we're at now with the Google Apps, and then give you some examples of how we got started and how teachers are actually using the Forms tool specifically uh, in a lot of different ways, both teachers in the classroom, administrators, uh, superintendents, and, and, and our technology support group as well. So we started out back in about 2008 um, when I learned about this and we had an administration um, wanting to 
increase the collaboration of our school improvement committees. And I suggested, well, we could create a Google Apps account and create sites for each of the uh, school improvement committees, and that way they could communicate amongst each other, because oftentimes what would happen, of course, is this committee would be doing this, and this one would be doing that, and they really should be talking together, but they never met, because they met at the same time in different rooms. And so that's where we started back in 2008. And created a site. When we log in now to our Team Eureka uh, Google Apps account, it gives us this page says welcome and has all the Google tools that we uh, have access to. And uh, there's an example of a simple site. I'm sorry for the bad reproduction of the screenshots. That's the best I could do. Um, of one of the school improvement committees, how they can kind of have a calendar and, and communicate what they're working on to the other committees. And then uh, in 2009, I took on a new position at the school district being the uh, technology integrationist. I guess that's due to the, the forward thinking of our administration to, and the ability to come up with the money to pay for that and pull me out of the classroom and start supporting teachers to uh, integrate technology. Kind of at the same time, we got involved with the new Slate grant, which was a huge part of us being able to do some of the stuff we're doing. Uh, I suggested that we kind of give this a try and branch it out beyond just the teachers and uh, do a trial with our middle school students that was located there. So we said we created accounts for 7th and 8th graders to have Google Apps accounts and see what we could do. Um, new Slate rolled out on the spring of 2009, I believe, when we started. And what happened at that point now, our teachers were able to get on board more, and they all started creating sites through the training of Diane coming up and showing them how to do all that and myself. It just took off like wildfire, and we have all of our teachers now with their own sites that are linked to through our district portal that they actually manage and keep up to date. And it's growing as far as their knowledge and what they're putting online. Uh, then 2010, we started and talked about over the summer, well, it works so well with the middle school students, let's offer that tool to the rest of the students. So we rolled out uh, in the fall of this year to fifth grade through 12th grade. All of our students now have access to Google Apps accounts. And in the last few months, Google has changed some of the Google Apps stuff that have really helped us out because now we have a lot more fine-tuning control that we can use on the administrative side, which allowed us, you know, the fifth grade, you say, well, those guys aren't even 13, but we can create accounts where they only have access to docs and not the mail. So we can kind of go in and fine-tune who has access to what. Uh, the present, well, that's where we're at right now. Teachers, staff, students, they're all using sites. Uh, students are using sites to create digital portfolios, um, documents. We're doing some of the stuff you saw in that video with some of the teachers and collaborative work with the students, uh, peer editing, things like that. And calendars is a resource that is really untapped at this point for us. We use calendars to manage the resources within our building. Like all of our computer labs are now a resource, and when teachers are booking those, they use the um, calendar, online calendar, to book that resource versus the old way of going to the library, writing your name down on the little piece of paper, and you know, you had to be in, go there and see if it was available or whatnot. So we've moved on from there. That gives us access to all of these tools. Uh, Google, in the last few months, with that infrastructure change, have now added basically all Google tools to apps accounts. Before, it was just the suite of sites, mail, docs, calendars. You now can create, with your Google Apps account, all Google tools, Blogger, Picasa, YouTube, 
those accounts that get created are all part of the apps account. So when you log into your Google Apps, you're automatically logged into those accounts you create. And for teachers and students, it gives them access to use those tools within their websites. And when you log in there, it puts a big banner across the top and says, you're accessing YouTube through a Team Eureka account. It basically follows, falls under the same rules and guidelines that your school has for you in that case. And that takes us to the future. And like they said at the end of the video, I mean, who knows? And I stole your background from Twitter. You know, I'm here for the learning revolution, and I think we have a lot of teachers who are jumping on board with that, too. So next what I'd like to do is show you some examples of how our staff has started using the Forms application of Google, which just a brief overview of that. It's in within Google Docs. You can create you know, a written document. You can create a spreadsheet. You can create a presentation. You can create a drawing. Those are the main tools they have in there. For the spreadsheet, you can have a form, which is a way of gathering information, and it's tied to a, to a spreadsheet. So you can create this form very quickly, gather information. It ends up in a spreadsheet, and from there, it's kind of the sky's the limit is what you can do with it. You know, Anything you can do with a spreadsheet, manipulating that data, and you're going to see some examples here. So Google Forms. Google Forms for teachers. Here's some of the examples of how teachers have used it. Self-grading quiz is an extremely powerful tool. You basically create a, a form that gives you a link that you provide to the students. They put their answers in this form. That form then feeds it to a spreadsheet. And with just a couple simple um, formulas within there, you can get it to pull the correct answers and self-grade, and you end up with just a column that gives you the grade from the student. They put in the answers. You didn't do any grading. Boom, it's there. Um, here's another simple use. This is like the easiest thing to do, collecting assignments. Students create work that has a whether it's a, a document or some other resource where you get a URL where they published it, they can just use a simple form to turn that in. And it collects their username and puts their URL in there. The teacher then has a spreadsheet like this. Mr. Montoya uses that because before when he was collaborating, sharing the documents, his, in, his document list just got overwhelmed and it was too hard to manage. So this was a great way for him to figure out how do I manage all of those shared documents. He said, don't share it with me. Just make it public and send me the link. And he's taken this even further. He now adds columns here where he can actually do his grading right in there. He, you know, click on that link. It takes you to the student's project. You do your grading. You come back here. You give them their grade. When you're all done, now you can take that. You can actually upload that to your schoolmaster or your, your grading system, making all of that a whole lot easier. Here was another innovation that one of our uh, middle school teachers came up with, kind of through a, a request or a demand from the middle school principal that you start to document when you call parents, because he was getting you know, irate parents coming in and say, well, they never called and told me anything about my student not doing well. And so he asked the teachers to start to document that. Well, the teacher came up with an idea, basically said, well, we could use a Google form for that. So that's basically what she did with a little assistance from me. She created a simple form where from her desktop, she clicks on that form, and she even uh, created a, a template so that other teachers could use it. Because as soon as she did it, the other teacher said, oh, I want that too. And so what it allows them to do, and uh, I'm just going to skip past some of that. I had other ideas. This is just a template, so it doesn't have any data in it. But whenever she calls a parent, she just goes to that site or that form, puts in her data. This is who I call. This is what I talked about. And she can actually share that document with the administrator. He can set it up so he gets a notification when she's entered something. And so 
for him, what it gives him is a powerful tool. He's got access to this document. It's a parent calls. He pulls, and they say, well, they haven't ever called me. He can pull this up, and he can say, well, actually, she did call you. On this date, she left this message, or she talked to you, and she did this kind of I mean, the information's all right there for the teacher. Powerful tool. And that was a teacher's idea to come up with that. Here's some other uses of Google Forms, more just general business across our district. Uh, one is uh, we did a program of breakfast in the classroom, and we wanted to see how did that work. Did we like it or not? And we wanted to get information from not only the staff but the parents. So we created a form. The, the middle school principal created a form, threw it out there. It was easy for us to take that form link and put it on our uh portal school page so that parents could easily access it. We could email it to people so they could have access to it. It looked something like this. Came up and said, you know, tell us what you thought of the breakfast in the classroom project. Was it successful or not? Give us feedback. Talk about data-driven decisions. Then from the spreadsheet side, you're easy, able to easily cre create a summary of results. Just click on a button, and it takes all your results, shows them to you in a graph. So we could then say, you know, should we continue this, yes or no? What, the, what does the public think? And so we got all that information back within a form. Another one, this one's kind of the, what I'm well known for in the district at this point. Kind of funny. It's collecting staff data. Our, <laughs> our, uh, our, our, our teachers union and administration got together and said, well, we want to kind of build on this collaborative environment. We want to have school shirts so that we can, you know, have a connection that way. And so we've been going through that process. We're still not done, actually, and that's a whole different story. But uh, we needed to know what size shirts everybody was going to wear. So I said, well, great, I can create a form for that, and I'll send that form out to everybody, and it will collect everyone's shirt sizes. And it, it works great. I put the form into an email. They say it collects their name automatically, and they get to choose from a drop-down list what size they want. And uh, from there, I'm able to do a, throw in a couple uh, spreadsheet forms, and it actually tallies all of that stuff for me so I can place the order and say this is what we need. Unfortunately, in my multitasking along the way, I ended up sending out a message to the staff asking about their shirt sizes. <laughs> so, Needless to say, I got a lot of replies that day. I, couldn't, I could not step out into the district anywhere without it just busting up in laughter. Um, another one that we just recently came up with, the noon tutoring teachers are assigning noon tutoring to students who need to finish homework, things like that. They would go up to the library during lunch. However, the teachers had no idea of knowing, did that student show up? Or the noon tutor who was there, what is it they're supposed to be working on? So again, th these are all ideas coming from our staff now. They're start it's just it, the process is incredible. So they said, well, let's, can we make a form so that the teacher would submit the student that needs to go, what it is they're supposed to be working on, and information like that. So the teacher basically assigns that student's noon tutoring. The noon tutor then has access to this spreadsheet, which then shows up and says, this person is supposed to be here. This is what they're supposed to be working on. And we, I've spent the holiday break figuring out how to do a little bit of stuff. I'm not a programmer by any means, but Google Apps has app scripting, which allows you to add kind of some programming abilities within this. And so I've added some buttons on there that now actually the, um, the noon tutoring aid 
can type in some information, you know, did the student show up, number one, what did they do, were they productive or non-productive, or even give feedback to the teachers, like I tried to help them on this, but where they didn't really understand this problem. They can then click on a menu at the top there and send an email back to the teacher with just one click of the button. And so the teacher then gets a, a reply in their email that says, from the noon tutoring aid, here's an update of your student's participation at noon tutoring. Were they there? We have kind of a Monday, M means Monday, and it kind of tells the teacher what's going on. We have had zero problems with students showing up to noon tutoring from, since we in instituted that. All right, moving right along. Getting more to the administrative side and, and ultimately to the walkthrough thing that you're talking about, I kind of took a little broader liberties from what you directed me to do. I wasn't quite sure. Um, here's one, student documentation. We did this early on with an elementary principal who came up with this idea of using the forms. They have you know, students with certain behavioral issues and they need to document what's going on with that student. So we created a form, that form. Um, you can then e add an easy link desktop icon, which is what we did to all the, s the teachers who were involved with that student. So the teach anyone, whether it's a librarian or the teacher or an aide, they have a quick link. They just click on that. It opens up the form. Um, uh, the form's coming up later. I guess this is the page. I was wanted to say this is where you can share who can do different things with it, whether they can edit it or view that actual data so that it's secure. Um, they can also set up uh, notifications. So the principal has it set up so that if anyone submits data to that form, she gets an email that says data has been submitted so she can come and look and see what the incident was. But it now gives them documentation of every incident that happened with that child along the way. And just a simple example of how that works. There's your collaboration. You can set it up uh, as a daily uh, um, digest of posts or an immediate post if you want to. Another one that we've started, and we're still working on this one a little bit, is our help desk tech maintenance kind of stuff. Uh, people want to, they're sending in their requests, you know, my keyboard's broken, my monitor's green, whatever it is, and we want to be able to track that information. So this is something that we're adding some Google script to. So people submit their request, what's going on, what building it's in, etc. It then shows up on a spreadsheet. That spreadsheet has some app scripting in it. So what it does is sends an email directly to the uh, technology person who has it linked with their phone. So they actually get a text message on their phone so that if they happen to be in that building, they could go address that issue right there on the spot. Um, we also have it set up so they can go to a, a menu at the top. I like that. Yes, there we go. That is an app scripting thing that allows you to add extra menus. And that will then send a message to the teacher once you've updated it. So if you say we're working on it or it's been assigned to somebody, you can actually click that and it'll send an email off to either the person, the tech person who you've assigned it to. And we use uh, technology, high school students as tech TAs to assist our technology staff. So our tech IT person can say, that's a simple thing. I know this guy can fix it. He assigns it to that student and then says, assign it, sends an email, it sends an email directly to that student. So when it's their tech TA period, they just go check their emails and they know that's something they can go work on. When the status gets updated, we can send an update notification to the teacher. So now we're communicating. One of the complaints from the teachers in the past was, you know, I don't know, did you ever fix that problem or not? Are you ever going to get around to it kind of thing? So this one actually 
uh, sends out emails that look something like this. Initial request, the teacher gets something that says, you know, uh, thanks for submitting your issue. We'll start working on it as soon as possible. You're currently number 10 in the request list queue as a new request. Right? Then uh, the tech person can send out this email that says, this uh, work order has been assigned to you, and here's what the issue is. Then when it's all said and done or anywhere along the process, a simple click, and it sends off an email to the teacher, says, here's an update on what's happening. Either we have to order some parts or whatever, so teachers aren't left in the dark as far as what's going on. So that was a powerful tool that we just started. And this is kind of like the coup de grace, and that's our principal uh, evaluation walkthrough form. So they, they have their iPads now, and they're able to use that to collect uh, walkthrough evaluation data that submits directly to a form that then sends that evaluation data as an email directly to the teacher and creates a, a historical document that both the administrator and the teacher have uh, to, to see uh, their evaluation data. So let's kind of walk through that a little bit. Some of the features and benefits, like I said, it can be run from a mobile device. We're currently building our, inter our wireless access throughout our school district, and we're almost completely wireless across the whole school district, so that uh, administrators can be anywhere in the building and do these evaluations. And until then, they kind of do workarounds. They go and collect the data and then walk to a, a hotspot and hit submit, and then it sends it off. So. Instead of a traditional, you know, or I guess going along the evaluation of a checkbox, uh, here's the basic form, and uh, each administrator created their form to have whatever questions they wanted. Some from a drop-down, some they type in text, some are rating scales, things like that. And uh, this is an example of what the teacher receives. It says, thanks for allowing me to visit your classroom, and this is totally customizable by the teacher, whichever they want it to do. And it actually pulls in the data from the form that's submitted, so the teacher then gets a immediate feedback on what the teacher observed when they were in the classroom. It has the ability to uh, click a checkbox and say, I'd like you to come and meet with me on this information. Zero. Google Apps is a free product. Uh, I mean, the only cost is IT time and my time to put it together and develop it, but it's a powerful, powerful tool. Let me ask you another question about the development piece. I mean, by the way, you're, you're a visionary. Let's move that out there. This is, this is awesome. Like, I, I've been using this kind of stuff. We use it in MPDA to back our email, and we're not even um, in the neighborhood of this. But can you give me a sense of like how complicated like the custom scripting is and that component? And were you were you I, it up? Jason, I think you wouldn't have any problems with it. It's, it's, it's basically, it's JavaScript is what it is. And to, Google gives you some great tutorials, and I have some resources attached to this link to get there. Cindy? Exactly. I've done the same thing. I've taken one of my bright but quiet tech TAs and said, I want you to learn this stuff. And he's just taken it, and now he's going to go be a programmer. And so when I have an issue or I have a need, I say, I want it to do this. And he, that's what he does. And he goes and plays with it until he figures out how to make it to do that. He brings it back to me and says, not quite like that, a little bit different like this. He goes back and he fixes it. So between the two of us, we're teaching each other app scripting. Yes? Uh, Tyler could answer. Our IT person might answer that question better. Not free. Not free. <laughs> it's just basically, it kind of depends on how many access points and stuff you're going to put in. 
time to run them to wire to the drops where you want them. I'm still looking at a way of, you know, more enterprise-type wireless solution where I handle the growing amount of mobile devices that are that's the assessment piece that Carol was talking about, too. You want to look at that and plan for that, because you don't want to just roll out devices to everybody. Oh, yeah, we got a new infrastructure for you know, the wireless network. Ultimately, you don't want teachers bringing access points, plugging them in. You know, I mean, this happens in Oklahoma schools. It happened in our school. <laughs> I was the one that did it. <laughs> you want to have a system where you're able to have a dashboard and see what's going on with your wireless. If you've got an event like we've got today, and I bet Shelly's done something like that here, you know, you can allocate more bandwidth. And it was, it's nice to have a smart network. And you know, obviously there's all kinds of prices for that, but that's a big part of your assessment of your learning initiative is, is how are we going to plan for our infrastructure, not just the time that goes out to the Internet. Those access points, how you manage them, because you, you need to have a smart network. Uh, the devices themselves might not have the smarts, but it's great. But after doing it well, prior to that, we have little bit because all of the districts are different. You know, codes and you put your laptop from one building to the other. You have three computers. Now we have a system where once you're connected to the computer, Yeah. And it's definitely something we're still developing and working out the bugs. Uh, wireless is a, is, a, is a problem. You know, it has its hiccups. We have wireless labs, two wireless netbook labs in our elementary and one wireless laptop lab in our middle school. We also have two stationary labs in our middle school. No wireless labs in our high school, but two to three or four, depends on how you count them, labs, stationary labs in our high school. But the, the goal is to keep moving wireless, and once we get it figured out, but, uh, you know, we just did map tests. Do you have, Rob? Yeah. Do you have um, wireless like in the parking lot? <laughs> I get it. I, I still get mail when I'm walking from the elementary to the uh, middle school. Although, you know, we have a lot of a lot of schools that I've talked with that, that look at this and they they may be able to get access finally at the school, but then outside the school, students don't have access. As probably in Montana, you have a lot of students that when they go home don't have high speed internet. And so when you're looking at this and you're having someone come in. Have them look at your campus wireless because if you can provide wireless, especially in high schools and places like the parking lot, if students can't get on at home to do things, they can't always go there. I mean, McDonald's has wireless and other places, but a lot of schools look at this as a way to wire the campus so that after school hours, if kids need their access, they can get over, go over to school and use it. Right, yeah. Um, you know, we don't have a McDonald's in Eureka, but <laughs> no Starbucks, no McDonald's. But yes. It is password protected. We don't have it open at this point in time. They, so all of those have a, a pass key that's been entered into them. Students don't have access to it. We, we're toying with those ideas, and we're taking a look. We're going to let Bozeman High School do it first, and they're kind of running out some open uh, wireless setups with students and see how it works with them, and then we'll, we'll take a closer look at it. At this point, you know, we're not there yet. Our students aren't there yet as far as all the students having mobile devices. 
to the point that we could say, we don't need to provide you with a laptop. You have one in your pocket. Let's start using that. So we don't want to do like the example of the school who gave all the netbooks out and then had to take them all back. So we'd rather do the training with the teachers. And with our new slate, we've been doing that. We've been giving the laptops, giving the technology to the teachers, teach them to use it first, and then we'll start to roll it out with the students more as we go. Um, any other questions, I guess, at that point? This is just a, a final example of what the administrator can take a look at from their evaluations. They basically have all their evaluations in the year, and we don't have one of our principals here to talk about that, but basically they, they love this tool. It'll, by our contract, they have to do eight walkthroughs in a year, and they're already at eight, and they were at eight in December because it is so easy for them to do these evaluations. So they're, basically what they're able to do is give a lot more feedback to the teachers. So things like uh, they can take a look and say, well, what kind of assessment tools are my teachers using? Are, you know, are they mostly questioning, written, stuff like that? Any of those things are quickly just a one click and you've got this evaluation information. You know, what resources, technology resources are my teachers using most when I go into the classroom? So this, they could look at this by teacher or they could look at it as a full uh, campus. And uh, that's pretty much some just overview. I didn't grab everything. There's a lot of teachers out there doing things more than the examples I've shown you. And uh, my job is to support them. They come up with an idea, and it's like, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And so I just try to help them figure out how to make the form work. And then the playing with the app script is just way cool because there's so much we can do with that. It, it basically integrates your form and your, doc, or your spreadsheet with your mail, potentially your calendar, your sites, so you can get it to do whatever you want it to do, basically. But it's one of the main things that I really like about the Google Apps for Education that is so easy is that it's all integrated. And now with the trans, the, the new infrastructure that Google has, it's Blogger, it's YouTube, everything. So when a teacher creates a site, it's really easy for them to insert a YouTube video, to insert a slideshow from Picasso. It's just to select it from the insert button, basically, on their website. They don't have to mess with embed code and all of that stuff. So our teachers are creating some really dynamic um, websites. Yes. Um, I just but you can't ask any questions. I'm not going to ask you. I just want to make a general comment to the administrators in the room. Uh, if you want to hear about some real examples that have uh, empowered the teachers in this process, uh, call their building principals. I was up there training with their administrative staff last week, and they had some amazing examples of the impact that this has had on their school. So call their, yeah. their building principals because they have a lot to say about this. Had I had more time, that introductory video at the beginning, I would have tried to do something like that with our students and our administrators, but I didn't have the time. But I bet you if you did it, it would sound very similar to what those teachers were saying. Uh, at the bottom, there's a small resource link, and I, just a self-promo, I guess, or just to answer some questions, because if there's people who are interested in learning more about Google Forms and how to do some of these things, uh, I'm offering workshops um, and I'm having Nancy run that for me because I don't want to mess with it. So there's currently one up there at wmcspd.net. Oh, sorry, cspd.net. Whoops, typo. I'll have to fix that. Uh, and you can register for it. It's dynamic Google Forms or something like that uh, if you're interested. And the first ones are focusing on the walkthrough stuff, but if you have other ideas, I'm more than happy to, to help you out there share the knowledge. Thank you for letting me take some time. All right, well, we are going to go on break, and we're going to take a 15-minute break, and when we come back, 
We're going to give you your Talk With Media assignment. There's going to be a a couple options, some choices. Choice is an important thing that we include in assignments, so we need to model that. So let's take a 15-minute break, um, and uh, we will come back for our last section. There's more food if you didn't have enough lunch. More refreshments. Yeah. 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 I'm still doing okay. I finished one, but I've got another one. Oh, shit. Hey, I had to log into my wireless again. Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. No, it's good. It's good. So that was pretty amazing, wasn't it? It was. You know, I don't have to say, but I didn't get an opportunity. And the one one schools that I see here, the holy trinity of software of, of, that they all recommend is Moodle, Google Apps, and You're on the projector. Yeah. You might want to mute. You're in the other oh. room, too. What's that? You might want to mute. Oh. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. That's what they talk about is that, that being the holy trinity, Google yeah. Apps, Moodle, and then, and then Dino software, which helps with the collaboration piece, too. Wow. That's good. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, are we still going to talk about Flickr? Yeah, that's what I was going to uh, I'm thinking we uh, we set this up with a tell a story in five photos and then uh, talk about the, the video and basically that they'll have an option. We've got 30 flip cameras here, so I'm going to steer our group that it's here towards the video option, but I want to talk, talk about them both. And I've got um, some slides to talk about the process for email to, that they'll send in to Posturus um, and then also the login credentials for uh, Pixel Pipe. So um, why don't we start with, you can uh, tell. Well, one of the things, I didn't know if you wanted to tell, uh, one of the things he talked about just now was this whole idea of the global stage and how students work really, you know, improves when you have students on the global, you know, see students do that. And so I wanted to show you this. I don't know if you've seen it. Can you see it? Sacagawea? Yeah, huh? Yeah, that's the book that my photo was published in. From oh, Flickr. really? And I realized just recently that the photo was actually taken with my iPhone. It's not even a great quality photo. It's on that page right there. Cool. It's a picture of the Missouri River on page 540. That's very cool. And, I wanted, and while we were in Amarillo, I had a woman from the U.K. ask me if they could use a picture I had taken of wine corks for a I Love Natural Cork website that, the UK, that they have in the U.K. <laughs> And so, I, you know, I don't want to say too much, but I did want to show this because no, why don't you it's so do that? exciting, you know, and, and that idea that someone else will come across your work. Yep. And, you know, everyone right. loves that. Cool. That, you know. Yeah, why don't you start with that, with, with Flickr and, and talking about it, and then, you know, the tell a story in five photos. For them, I mean, I want to for the video one, I want to give them the challenge, the... Digital Vision 2011 challenge about what is you know digital what does visionary digital school leadership look like? What do you think we should do for the the five photo challenge if they want to do that? 
It's kind of a, I mean, a charades thing about guess something is a, is a good way to do it. Right. Um, yeah, or, yeah, we don't want to do fairy tales. We already decided. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, or just a, I posted a question earlier, and some of them answered me about if money were no object, what kinds of things would you, would you do in your school? What would you, you know, where would you go? Right. Uh, so I don't know if we could piggyback off that idea that, you know, Without money being an issue, how would how would your school be different? Right, right. Or yeah, what is yeah a vision for 21st century learning? Um, you know, we've got teachers here. There's a special ed teacher. There's a um, somebody else who te- is a, a middle school teacher. I mean, and then at the remote sites too. So. I mean, I think we could mention the fairy tale thing, and if they want to do that, I mean, we're going to encourage them to work with a partner. Um, and they well, and they can look at the stories that are out there. Right. The oh yeah. No, I'll yeah, I'll I'll, show, I'll I'll share some of those. So if you'll kind of talk a little bit about Flickr and about the background of the the five photo stories. A visual storytelling. Do you want me to bring up? Yeah, we didn't even say you know we want to use the, the cameras because we're going to go beyond just a five story visual. Well, the thing is, though, I don't, I don't know that our remote sites and Poplar and Helen had joined us. They're actually with us now, <clears throat> so I don't know if. Um, you know what? I might also do is go ahead. Well, here, maybe you can do this. Will you set up a Google form um, to ask them to submit? Uh, well, I don't know. They don't really have to do that, I guess, because it'll be on the blog. They don't have. We don't have to use a Google form, so disregard that. Um, but somehow we need to find out who'd like to share theirs out loud. And it'd be good to have, you know, some of the groups at the remote sites do that. I don't know. We'll have to think about how to do that. But I think we'll leave it open. Let's give them a few ideas for what they can do with their five-photo story. Um, and then, you know, we'll give them, give them work time to do it. So. Okay. Yeah. No, it's been good. This is this has been good. So I'm thinking that we'll do another, um, you know, we'll do this 15 or 20 minutes, and then we'll do an hour of work time, and then bring them back. Yeah. And while you're working, I'm gonna walk away a little bit. I've had fire drills all day that I've been. Sure. I understand. My phone's gone off a couple times too. So. All right. Sounds good. Bye. I think in the world, I have a little favorite.